The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special NCAA tournament edition, our host George Templeton breaks down the Rams' upcoming game and reviews their opponent. And now, here's George. All right, welcome to Rams Rewind. If you like what you hear and you want to help us out and shoot us a little dinero, there is a link to the PayPal uh, in our description. And we really appreciate when you uh, donate to us. And thank you all season for all the support you've shown us. And we're here. This is the week. The tournament is here. VCU has drawn the 12 seed in the West. And a trip to Albany, New York to play the 5 seed. And that 5 seed is St. Mary's, uh, uh, who got an at-large out of the West Coast Conference. And admittedly, I did not watch nearly as much St. Mary's as I have in the past. Uh, it's a program I have a lot of respect for with a coach I have an eminent amount of respect for. So we have to have a guest on to help us break them down and talk about them. And that person is Rocco Miller, who uh, works for the Field of 68 and Bracketeer.org and covers St. Mary's. You can follow him on Twitter at Rocco Miller 8. Rocco, welcome to Rams Rewind. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. How's everybody doing in Richmond? Uh, I'm not in Richmond, believe it or not. I'm in Sarasota, but in Richmond, the people are right. excited. You know, this is yes. this is a long time coming because, of course, a couple of years ago we were going to be in the tournament and we got kicked out because of COVID, which was brutal, and we're yeah. still not over. And I think I think a lot of people might not be over unless they win to, unless they win this game on Friday, and even then it might always stick with us. So you know, this is a long time coming for us. It's been it's been the fact the last time we actually played a game in the tournament. Uh, I believe. Well, is it was it against you? Was it, no, it wasn't against your guys. It was against UCF, and then we and then the time before that we played against you. And that's the other interesting thing about this: first time we've had a rematch in the NCAA tournament. Played St. Mary's in 2017. Uh, St. Mary's got a huge lead, and VCU tried and tried and tried to come back. That was an awful night because not only did VCU lose, Maryland lost to or Maryland lost in Orlando, and I was there, and that was pretty terrible. Pretty terrible. <laughs> Morocco, we're here to bring you on to talk about St. Mary's. One thing I noticed right off, right away, as as is usually the case, St. Mary's one of the slowest teams in terms of tempo in the country. They've always been a deliberate team, but they've always been a very good offensive team, very precise in the cuts and the passing and the way they run their offense, something Randy Bennett's always been really good at. Um and, you know, that that's something that I've always respected about him and the way he plays because, to me, that's tournament basketball. Tournament games tend to be slower paced. It's hard to get the pace up in those games. So just let's just start there with with uh, talking about the offense and how, how it's structured this year for St. Mary's. Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it. Um, not too much deviated from what you've seen from this team over the years. Um, you know, I, I live here in the Bay Area, so I get out to a, a handful of their games and – um, cover the WCC and Pac-12 and all the stuff around here when I'm home. I also do a lot of national coverage on the road. So um, it's, a, it's always fascinating to me to see how they're going to stack up nationally. Um, they had some 
really good results uh, in non-conference play this year. And, um, you know, obviously a, a pretty good year in the WCC where they won the tiebreaker and got the number one seed in the tournament. Uh, ultimately, uh, we'll get into what happened in that Gonzaga loss. But um, overall, what they run is um, a lot of high pick and pop stuff. Mitchell Saxon's the, the, the main big guy this year. He's a really talented, skilled junior from my hometown of Seattle, Washington, uh, where I was born and raised. And so I've followed this kid since he was in high school. Um, but he's, he's a really good roller and effective roller when they're looking to hit the roller. Um, so they, they primarily run the offense through uh, Logan Johnson, all-conference player, veteran player, tough as nails, originally a Cincinnati transfer. Um, some, some VCU fans might remember him at Cincinnati in his earlier years. Um, but he's just been a dynamic, uh, athletic element to the St. Mary's program that they don't always have. Um, a lot of guys um, t- typically that play very fundamentally sound basketball, uh, really good spacing on the St. Mary's offense traditionally. But Logan's got the ability to cut and slash um, and do a lot of different things, um, back cutting, all that types of stuff to pick off easy baskets. And he's very good at attacking the rim and getting to the foul line. Um, so he's he's kind of the biggest threat between you know the start of the game until about the five-minute mark. Down the stretch, they've really gone to a kid named Aiden Mahaney, a true freshman from right down the hill. Um, the next town over from St. Mary's, St. Mary's is located in Moraga, California. The next town down the hill is uh, Lafayette. So this kid played high school ball all, all through four years at, at this high school down the hill. And uh, sure enough, he's living his dream, not only playing for St. Mary's, but he's mature enough uh, to be a leader. He scores typically over 10 points a game, sometimes up to 20 or more. Um, he's, he was, all, I think he was all conference WCC and most importantly, he's the closer. So if we get ourselves a tight ball game, um, Aiden Mahaney is going to have the ball in his hands late. Uh, so he's a fascinating element. He also can shoot from all over the court, uh, including NBA range three pointers. Um, so he's a, he's a weapon, uh, on a lot of different parts of the basketball court. Um, they still have, uh, you know, glue guys like Kyle Bone and Alex Dukas, who set a lot of screens, take a lot of charges. Um, St. Mary's, I think, for the last two decades has been known as a team that takes a ton of charges. So that can really frustrate opponents. Um, and, and then I think that's pretty much the nucleus of the team. Um, Augustus Marshallonis is the son of uh, Sharunis Marshallonis, an NBA uh, legend that played for uh, Seattle Sonics and Golden State Warriors. Um, he has big-time potential, hasn't really reached that potential quite yet. He plays about 15, 20 minutes a game. But I think those are the that's the core pieces of the of the team and and, and in general, yeah, it's a lot of high high post, high low, uh, pick and roll, um, spacing, uh, some you know four out five out looks, and um, they just create uh, as many good opportunities as they can get, and they like to multiply those based on the opponent. Um, one last thought on that is uh, I know Randy Bennett well, I know the whole staff very well. This staff spends a ton of time preparing. And they have high IQ basketball players uh, that they don't take a lot of time translating that knowledge to the players' uh, minds, and they can and they can actually go and uh, perform it and perfect it on the court uh, in, in a one practice deal, and that really helps them in an in NCAA tournament setting here. I want to spend some time on those players you mentioned in a minute. I, I want to talk about the schedule real quick because it was a very good schedule from St. Mary's. But what I thought was interesting. No, no true road games, a lot of neutral site games, which that, that struck me as unusual for St. Mary's. But you played tournament teams. Oral Roberts, Vermont made the tournament. North Texas and Hofstra almost made the tournament. They were really good. 
New Mexico was around the bubble. You played Houston and gave them a hell of a game uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. You played San Diego State and beat them in Phoenix. So you've, you've played a really great schedule. But just tell me about, you know, about, about is that, is, I mean, that seems to be typical for, for, uh, for St. Mary's to play a tough schedule like that, but no true road games, which I thought was a little surprising. Yeah, and a lot of that was by design. Um, you know, I, I actually was a consultant for their scheduling, and I do that for about 200 teams across the country. Um, so it's really, you know, fun for me to put games together as a bracketologist and also as a um, as a scheduler. Um, and I thought, you know, I couldn't find anybody to play that Houston game. We finally got St. Mary's to play them. Uh, it took about two months to get their commitment, but they did it, and they benefited from it. Not only did they play them – uh, by playing them close, it helped all their power numbers. Uh, but if they would have won the game, I mean, uh, what it would have done for their resume uh, even more uh, would have been astronomical. And I think, you know, there's much more to play in a tough schedule than um, just the numbers part of it. And I think you saw them not play any true road games because they wanted to put themselves in position to be able to win those games. They didn't like their chances playing in a true road game. So there was some optimization, if you will, uh, within building that schedule. Um, but also playing these opponents, they wanted to build themselves uh, to be in a position to be able to compete with Gonzaga for a championship and ultimately be able to match up with teams in the NCAA tournament. So I think they wanted to play some varying styles. You know, Houston and San Diego State, for example, have two of the best defenses in the in the United States almost every year and certainly true this year. Um, North Texas also in that category. Uh, but they also played some fast-paced uh, electric offenses like Hofstra and Oral Roberts. Uh, which helped them get ready in a, in a scenario where they have to play a tough offense in the tournament. So I think the particular opponents were um, part of a category of teams that they were looking to play. And then the other part is just having a strong schedule in general to build a profile. Um, and, you know, I think ideally they wanted to go perfect, but uh, it was just too big of a gauntlet to make that happen. All right. Before I get to the end of the schedule, because I, I want to spend some time on, you know, what happened in the tournament, what happened in the West Coast tournament and all that. I want to talk about the players that you mentioned. So Luke Saxon is, is certainly is certainly a load up front. Uh, what was it, 6'10", 242. But you described him as a skilled big man. And one thing I always think of with St. Mary's is they usually have at least one big player who's very big but is not some clunky, slow-moving guy. They're usually very skilled. They're usually very smooth. I always think of Omar Samhan. I know I'm going back a few years yeah. with that one. But I always think of Omar Samhan when I think of St. Mary's and I think of their big man. Uh, you know what? Go a little bit deeper into Luke Saxon and his kind of game. You know, you talked about how much of the, about the pick and pop. Is he somebody who can step out and kind of shoot the jumper? Or is he mainly a roll, uh, is he mainly a roll guy that goes to the basket, you know, after he sets that big screen out front? Yeah, so Mitchell Saxon's a kid that, um, you know, he's gotten better over time. He's filling some really big shoes. Mat uh, Matthias Toss, the Australian, was there the last three years, and, and he graduated last year. Um, so this is Mac uh, Saxon's first first season in the big role. He was backing up Toss last year. And, and you'll probably remember back in 2017 when these two schools met, uh, Jock Lawndale, who I think is still yes. in the NBA. Yeah, he was the guy, and he was special. I mean, he was really, really good at this. At this, at this role, obviously had had more talent. Uh, Mitchell Saxon could get there at some point. We'll see. So far, he's not there. Um, and, in fact, Saxon's actually hit a little bit of a wall as the end of the season hit near. Gonzaga really uh, took him out both the last uh, – two of the last three games. 
And he also had some uh, sluggish performances when they lost to Loyola Marymount for, in mid-February and also in the win over Portland. He only scored four points. So, um, when you know, just depending on uh, – St. Mary's is smart enough to where whatever the defense is giving them, they're going to take advantage. So if, if they're ignoring Saxon – if ECU's ignoring Saxon too much, they're going to get some easy buckets to him. Um, otherwise, I think he's not the primary option, uh, especially down the stretch here in these last, uh, I don't know, eight games or so. So it is really like we're just going to take what you give us mentality if you're St. Mary's. But uh, in general, he's going to have a bigger and bigger role as his career goes on. He has up to two more years at St. Mary's. So uh, remember his name because uh, he, he's only getting better with time and, and, and with confidence. You mentioned the backcourt. For me, I, I found it odd that Aiden Mahaney gets first team all conference and doesn't get and doesn't get newcomer of the year because I guess you don't do rookie of the year like some conferences do. So I found that odd, but it seems like that's the big matchup. VCU's guards are very tough defensively. Ace Baldwin, Jaden Nunn. Ace Baldwin was our conference's defensive player of the year in addition to being the conference player of the year. But Jaden Nunn's t- taken some of the tougher assignments down the stretch. You know, he did a lot of the guarding on Yuri Collins in the two games against St. Louis. We played them, the one in the tournament, one towards the end of the regular season. So, you know, that to me is where this matchup may very well swing is how 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 does how does VCU decide to defend Aiden Mahaney and defend Jackson and try to keep them from dribble penetrating or try to keep them from from getting those 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 pick and roll, pick and pop actions that that sort of define the St. Mary's offense offense. Couldn't agree with you more there uh, because Aiden is, um, you know, in, in again, much like Saxon, he was completely neutralized in the, in both the last two Gonzaga losses. Uh, they played, they played Gonzaga in the finale in Spokane. Um, you know, they got, they got down big in that game and then they ended up losing by nine, uh, but he never got going. He was just, you know, one for six from two, two for four from three, finished with nine points. Uh, but, but he was pretty well neutralized and he was a, a big focus they did the same thing in the championship game of uh, the tournament. Um, and St. Mary's, in all fairness, was out of that game very early on. I was, I was there courtside and um, not the game any of us expected. We thought we were going to get a classic and we got a, we got a butt whooping. And uh, part of that was because Mahaney um, uh, was neutralized pretty effectively by Gonzaga. Um, and a lot of that had to do with uh, full court and three-quarter court ball pressure. Uh, so less of the half-court stuff more of like just wearing them down up and down the court. Gonzaga uh, threw a one-two-two press uh, at this at this uh, St. Mary's offense. Got got the ball out of Logan Johnson's hands on a bunch of possessions. Uh, Mahaney uh, was dependent on more. Made him make some decisions. He didn't always make the best decisions. Um, he was okay in the championship game from a turnover standpoint. He only had one turnover, but in that, in that game in Spokane, he had four turnovers. And again, you know, I think. You know, you might have saw on Twitter on Sunday, I posted a video of Randy Bennett from the selection show. And um, that's that's something that's kind of on everybody's mind now going forward is, you know, at 18 years old, is he ready for this big moment? Is he ready for VCU's uh, 17th ranked defense? And everybody knows about Havoc and all that. So it's it's a fascinating matchup from that standpoint. And, and St. Mary's has some demons now to exercise. Um, and, the, and the question becomes, you know, was it just Gonzaga's athletes that was able to do that? Because St. Mary's been pretty sound and solid against anybody else. Or is this an ongoing problem that future opponents can capitalize on? 
I mean, for me, I, the way I looked at it is, is that it was specifically a Gonzaga problem yeah. and not, you know, a, a trend. Cause again, if you, if you play, if you play Houston, who's the number one, you know, would have been the number one overall seed in the tournament, I think without the lose all loss on Sunday and Sasser's injury, you play them to five points, you know, on a neutral floor, you know, that's a pretty athletic team too, with pretty tough guards defensively. So that that's the way I looked at it. But there's another piece of that of, of the way the season ended that's interesting to me. And I know that St. Mary's is used to having the long layoffs between the West Coast Conference tournament and, and the NCAA tournament, because that's the way it is. But only two games since February 25th. So that's gonna be three weeks, almost three weeks by the time we get to Friday. How does Randy Bennett navigate that to keep this team sharp? Because to me, that seems like a real challenge, even though they're used to having the long layoffs before the NCAA tournament. Yeah, he's certainly used to it. There's a lot of players that went through it last year, and they, they did get to the round of 32 last year. In fact, you know, in some ways they got a, a good draw because they were able to play in Portland, and um, they got the play-in winner, which ended up being Indiana, who had to fly from Dayton to Portland, which is a long flight. Um, so there's some built-in advantages within that, but – they went out and hammered Indiana in the first game last year, um, beat them badly, uh, I think by near 40. Um, before, before surprisingly, we thought we were going to see a good St. Mary's-UCLA uh, round of 32 game. UCLA ended up pounding St. Mary's in a game that was never really close, kind of like that Gonzaga game we just saw uh, last week in the championship game. So um, the layoff thing is normal because the WCC schedule for the tournament and when the season ends is always the same. They, they basically have a TV slot with Gonzaga now every year on that last Saturday night in February. Um, so from that standpoint, I think they're comfortable with it. But at the same time, you know, VCU is coming from a whole opposite world where uh, they, they played over the weekend in a very intense uh, one-bid scenario in the Atlantic 10 tournament, played very well. And now they get to roll into into Friday uh, feeling great. Um, so – so it really is, and maybe this is what you're getting at, it really is two teams coming from two different feelings and uh, rhythms, uh, you, you could say. Two things jumped out at me when I was looking at St. Mary's stats. One of the best teams in the country in terms of rebounding margin. I think they were eighth in rebounding. Let me find it here, but I think they were eighth in rebounding margin. Yeah, eighth in rebounding margin in the entire country and way up there in scoring margin as well. VCU's had trouble on the backboard at times. And in that championship game against Dayton, that was the thing that was keeping Dayton ahead. And when VCU finally shut off the second chance points, they they completely gummed up the Dayton offense. Why is this team such a good rebounding team? I noticed the guard, you've got your front court players do a lot of it, but your guards rebound as well. Uh, just just go into that a little bit about, about how good a rebounding team that St. Mary's has. Well, I, I think that it's really fundamentally sound. They, they have a an extreme attention to detail like St. Mary's teams of the past where every time a shot, an outside shot goes up, they block out extremely well. Um, they help. Uh, they have a lot of help rebounding, uh, especially on the defensive end. So it's very, it's very difficult to get second chance points against this team on a, in a half court offense. Uh, and so that, that has a lot to do with it. Um, Saxon's a terrific rebounder. Bowen's a good rebounder. Uh, you also have, um, you know, Dukas can rebound a little bit. Obviously, the, you mentioned the guards. Logan Johnson's one of the best guard rebounders, um, you know, that they've had in years because of his athleticism. 
Um, there's, there's usually a player or two. Well, he'll get his own rebound on offense as well. So it's a, it's a very effective team. And I think Saxon can also clean up a lot of missed shots on the offensive rebounding side of things. So I, I think it's, it's, there, there's nothing new or, or fascinating about this particular team. It's the same St. Mary's system and they just have a great overall basketball IQ level where they can adjust and adapt, and they're always going to be rebound-first mentality when when shots go up. One of the things that I feel good about VCU playing St. Mary's is, is that in some ways Dayton was the perfect preparation. Dayton had two stud front court players that VCU's played against that in different games has given them a lot of trouble. Dayton also plays a very slow tempo. They were 354th on Ken Palm in terms of tempo. So I just wanted to throw that out there and see your reaction to that, that I felt like Dayton, if, if they were going to play a team like St. Mary's, Dayton was the perfect preparation in that regard. In that regard, yeah, sure, absolutely. Like there's there's some crossover there. I think St. Mary's does those things just maybe a little bit better throughout the course of the year. Uh, you know, good Dayton is very, very good, as we both know. Uh, but then there's the Dayton that had had their struggles, um, you know, losing to teams like Rhode Island and George Washington and George Mason uh, throughout the year. So um, Dayton had a really interesting year. I mean, we all had them probably somewhere around the top 25 start of the year. That uh, Their ceiling is very high, but um, – and it was still a great win for VCU. I'm not taking anything away there. I just think consistency-wise, you know what you're getting from St. Mary's more often. Um, you're really never going to see a team that just – Disappears. I, I do believe the Gonzaga losses were just about Gonzaga's ceiling and reaching that against St. Mary's and um, having the athletes to take away what St. Mary's likes to do. Because in most games, you know, I cover St. Mary's against San Francisco, a team that, a team that um, St. Mary's has won like 33 of the last 35 games against in the last however many years. And every time we think San Francisco has a chance, St. Mary's pounds them by 15 to 20 because they're just a little bit more fundamentally sound. They, they give up a little bit less second-chance opportunities. They do all the little things to take away possessions from you, and by the end of the game, they find themselves up by double digits more often than not against those common opponents, not, not your elite teams like Gonzaga. I look at this game from the VCU perspective, and for me the key is don't fall in the traps that, that St. Mary's is going to set. They're going to pass the ball. They're going to work the clock all the way down. They're not going to panic in the last five seconds of the shot clock. And, and, and the rare times I've watched St. Mary's this year, like Dayton and some of the other teams and some other teams VCU's played, they've gotten very good shots at the end of the clock. So to me, you've got to defend for 30 seconds and make sure you, you get the rebound and don't give St. Mary's a second chance because St. Mary's is one of those teams you do not want to have to defend them for 50 seconds because somewhere they're going to probe and you're going to make a mistake or you're just going to have a little – or you're not going to go over a screen the right way or – something's going to happen and they're going to get that angle that they want. They're going to get that pass that they want or they're going to get that outside shot that they want. I think the other thing too is VCU is going to try to speed State Mary's up. It's going to be hard to do. So, Paul, you talked about it with Gonzaga with the ball pressure in the press. I don't know about us doing doing a press because what we like to kind of do is a half court is a trap. We'll trap in the back court at times and we'll try to pin you on one of the sidelines and that sort of thing. But to me, try to wear St. Mary's down, which means you don't give away cheap possessions. That like the worst thing to, the, to me, you play in a St. Mary's hand, you go down there and you jack up a shot at 22 or 23 on the clock, they get the rebound, you're in trouble. Don't do that against them. So that's 
that's kind of my prescription for the for the win. Your thoughts on that, and then your prescription for St. Mary's. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, th- I think, you know, some of the things you mentioned about trapping on the sidelines or just an overall trap approach is more like what Gonzaga was successful with. It was, it was a one-two-two trap specifically um, that they used um, in, in, in Japan and mimicked that to a degree in, in the game in Las Vegas. So um, it was obviously extremely effective in both games. Uh, and if PCU does a variation of that, I'm very curious to see how the St. Mary's responds or what they've done to adjust, or if there is anything they can to adjust. They got to roll with the, the horses they got. Um, from the St. Mary's standpoint, you know, I, I think you're right. Like they're they're hyper alert on offense, on where the cracks might be in the defense, whether it's a guy not fully guarding another guy or a screen creating an opportunity or or a missed you know, switch, those types of things. They're going to find those holes. They're, they're very elite at that uh, from an offensive standpoint. And on the defense defensive side, they're very stout. They won't make mistakes. They communicate at a high level. Uh, Logan Johnson, like I said, is one of the best defenders. I think he's the WCC Defender of the Year. I, I'd be shocked if he's not. Um, so so they got a lot of chances there. And I think, you, you know, just by the numbers, I, I usually watch a ton of ECU basketball, but because – the A-10 was just a one-bid league. I didn't watch as much of the A-10 as I normally would, uh, but I did see uh, the Rams play quite a few times earlier in the year. And um, by the numbers, you know, they get a little sloppy with it sometimes. Um, 271st in, in turnover rate is obviously an area of concern probably for the Rams. Um, if they if they let St. Mary's – the problem against St. Mary's for most opponents is if you let them get, get a lead, like anything north of eight points – uh, they can stretch that to 20 really quick. Uh, if you look at the semifinal game against BYU, uh, BYU also had a pretty good defense, not not as good as VCU's, uh, but BYU had a, a top 50 defense. Um, they were able to t- take an eight-point lead and stretch it to 26 really quickly uh, because they get the other team down and they start pressing a little bit more, both offensively and defensively, and they find holes and they get comfortable and they settle into the game. Um, I think the key against St. Mary's, much that Gonzaga had success with what is uh, is to get a lead and put the keep the pressure on St. Mary's. If if it goes the other way, it's very difficult to come back because they get even more comfortable and and more disciplined as as the game goes on. Well, you mentioned the turnover number. Believe it or not, two hundred seventy first isn't bad because when I started tracking it in mid December, they were in the three twenties. They actually <laughs> did a way better job with turnovers, especially in the back half of conference play, than they did early in this early in the season. So I'm going to get to the final question here because, you know, I don't know the perspective out there, and I am curious about it because VCU is a trendy pick. There's a lot of people that think VCU is the 12 that's going to beat a five or one of the 12s they're going to beat a five. How is that going down out there? Plus the fact that when they played each other before, it was in Salt Lake City. So you figured, you know, that was, a, that was an advantage for, for St. Mary's that that game was in Salt Lake City. This is all the way across the country for St. Mary's. And VCU, I think, is going to have a lot of people up in Albany. I know a lot of people in our fan group that are going up there. Yeah. You know, how is it how is it going down out there that a lot of people think VCU can pull this off? And just just your prediction for for Friday, if you want to give one. <laughs> that's a that's a great question because I I think the taste in the mouth is still very sour after getting blown out like that against Gonzaga. Um, but I also think you got to. You got to take it with a grain of salt, based on the fact that you know, Gonzaga's playing their best ball of the year. They they found a, a nuance 
about St. Mary's that no other team could find this year. Um, and, you know, St. Mary's is the t- has the type of kids and the type of players and obviously the coach um, that can move on quickly and forget about it. So they have the mental makeup uh, to, to move on and pl- go out there and play well. Um, it's it's going to be fascinating. I've also, you know, one thing I didn't mention is there's been a couple games this year with St. Mary's that have been really big head scratchers. Like they, they let Colorado State, uh, with, who had a lot of injuries this year and were nowhere near the tournament, come into – uh, St. Mary's' gym and beat them. Um, and that was, a, that was a surprise. New Mexico came in there and beat them. And they lost to University of Washington in the Wooden Classic in overtime, um, a not very good University of Washington team. So there are some games where they were either on a neutral court like the Wooden Classic or even on their home court where they just could not score enough to get separation. Um, I, could, I could definitely see VCU winning this game, and I understand why they're the trendy pick. I think out here uh, there's – you know, there's a, a mix of people that think they're going to be just fine and move on, but there's another mix of people that that think they're broken. Um, so prediction-wise, I you know I, I love the way VCU is playing. I I think they have a, a great shot to win, um, but I also have tremendous respect for for Randy Bennett and their ability to prepare, and they also have an extra day to prepare with this game being on Friday, right? So, um, man, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna come right down to the wire. Uh, I guess I'll stick with St. Mary's, but I, I, I'm basically 50-50, to be honest with you. I'm glad you brought up those considered bad losses, although New Mexico, again, they were, they were, they were in the field for a majority of yeah, they played February really and only yeah. fell out at the end. Because you had, you had Colorado State at home. We had Jacksonville at home, which was, which was a horrible loss. It got worse and worse and worse as the year went on. So. I, I, I certainly understand that situation. Rocco, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for coming on and talking with us and giving us an insight into this into this matchup because, again, West Coast, maybe a lot of fans don't get to see St. Mary's uh, out in this part of the country as much as much as certainly as much as you do. And so we really I really appreciate you coming on. This is your chance here. We believe in shameless self-promotion. So anything you want to plug here at the end of this podcast, go right ahead. It's your time. No problem. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It was uh, my pleasure. Happy to do it anytime. Uh, I love the VCU program, by the way. I, I wish you guys nothing but the best. Hope you have a great run this year. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Rocco Miller 8. That's the number eight. Uh, my website is bracketeer.org. I'm also a contributor for the Field of 68 Network. I'm sure many VCU f- fans are familiar with. They have an Atlantic 10 podcast. Uh, there's a, a lot of material on on uh, both Twitter and YouTube with Field of 68. Uh, I am one of their uh, expert bracketologists throughout the year. So that part of my show is now over with a real bracket now in place. Um, but throughout the offseason, like I said, I do scheduling consultant. So not only, not only do I do that for teams out here, I do it for the whole country. So a lot of Atlantic 10 teams um, I, I help as well. So um, follow my Twitter all year. I'll, I'll be able to fill you in on who the VCU Rams are playing next year. And, um, you know, that we do a lot of transfer portal tracking as well, which I know most of us are very fascinated by. So can't wait for March. I'll also be in New York City next week uh, covering the East Regional at Madison Square Garden. So I can't wait to see who gets there. Um, and, uh in, in the meantime, stay in touch, and it's going to be a great game on Friday. Yes, thank you so much, Rocco. Thank you all out there in podcast land for listening. It looks like for Friday, folks, I will be live in the VCU Good and the Bad and the Ugly group, along with the podcast that will come out 
uh, later that day on Friday. If you're not a member of the VCU Good and the Mad and the Ugly group, join us. Game threads that can be wild and crazy at times, but a lot of fun. Post-game videos when we're live. VCU by the numbers, which will come out Wednesday. That's tomorrow. Just looking at the Kim Palm and the net, comparing them with St. Mary's as we get ready for that game. Thank you all for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you all later. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. We'll be back after the next game, and thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.